0: second corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 O corinthians we have spoken openly to you our heart is wide open you are not restricted by us but you are restricted by your own, affle- of own affections now in return for the same i speak to you as children you also be open Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Because you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, and he quotes from Leviticus 26.12, Jeremiah 32.38, Ezekiel 27.37. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then he quotes from Isaiah 52.11, Ezekiel 20.34, Ezekiel 20.41, and ultimately even 2 Samuel 7.14. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the almighty. Pray with me if you would please. Lord, you have such beautiful things to teach us tonight. And I pray that you would help that you would speak through me, not even help me, but do it for me. Let my heart be open and ready for what it is you want to speak tonight. Let our lives be open and ready, Lord, that you would commandeer our thinking and that we would understand you and know you and love you more and that tonight would be revolutionary. Lord, please tonight minister to us and through us. Lord, meet us right where we need to tonight, right where we need to be met. Immerse me in your spirit, Lord, that you would appear in and give life to this flesh, Lord, that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. Come upon me now. And let each of us truly be ministered to. Lord, you know the struggles, the battles that we go through right now, what's going on in our hearts and our heads. Meet us at every bit of that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Don't take my word for it. Take the word for it. Think of your heart, if you would with me now, as if it were a home, a house. Someone owns it. The person who lives in it may not necessarily own it. We rent We don't own the house we live in. As I'm reading this text, I've got to be honest with you, the Lord's been doing a real mighty thing in my own heart. As I noticed the difference between a heart being open and giving your heart away. If my heart is open to you I can feel your pain I could even be hurt by you I could allow you to propose influence but that doesn't mean that you have the final say you can make suggestions if I give you my heart on the other hand then you have absolute free right of influence You can insert whatever you want in it. You can rebuild it whatever way you want. And when I'm asking this to the Lord as I'm looking at the difference, I ask the Lord, show me this in a way I can understand. And that's when He showed me if my heart were a home. And if my heart were a home and you were to come to it, if my heart were open then you would be welcome in. You could be like, Hi, it's Claudia. Claudia, Claudia, come on in. But it wouldn't be her home. So she could go in and look and go, You know, I really think you should put a fresco painting up there. And I think that you should put some an Italian flag up there. And you should... Put a pasta maker in your in your kitchen. But because it is in her house, she can make those suggestions, but I still have the final say. It's still my house. Does that make sense? But if I were to say to Claudia, this is yours, Clodagh. It's your house. And then she wanted to tear down a wall, I don't have a say in it. If she wanted to paint the whole thing green, white, and red... I don't have a say in it because it's not my house anymore. Does that make sense? Here's the hard part. Is that as I'm sort of sorting this through in my own head, the Lord asks me, so which one have you done with me? Have I actually given the Lord my heart to where He can change it freely without my fighting him over it he can replace value systems he can change the way I feel about something have I given him my heart or have I opened it up so that he could come in and make suggestions but in the end of it all I still have the final say then the Lord asks well what about those you claim to love Is your heart open to them? Or are you actually giving them your heart? Because if you give your heart to somebody, well, it sounds to me like if they're human, by virtue of them being imperfect, they're going to damage it. It doesn't matter who it is your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, everybody's human. And I realize that the only person truly worthy of me giving my heart to is Jesus. Now, I've spoken to my wife about this, and she doesn't seem to mind, to be honest. Because she doesn't want the responsibility of my heart either. And wouldn't that make sense? My heart beats a little bit big sometimes. And once I start to put things into that category for a second, I start to recognize scriptures like, Proverbs 4.23, when it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. The word keep is the word and It means to conceal, to protect from invasion. In other words, don't leave the door open. Make sure that they knock. And you have a right to welcome in or not. Welcome in. Does that make sense? So he's cute, ladies. He says he's a Christian. He's been to church before. And he's knocking. Do you invite him in? I wouldn't. But then I'm a guy, that's another story. But you get it. Jesus tells us here that we're ultimately Christ's home, and we're going to see that. What we're going to see in this text, to be honest, is even sadder. Because what Paul is looking at is he's looking with great grief. Look at it with me now, back in our text. In 2 Corinthians 6, He starts verse 11 by saying, O Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. The problem is not Paul's heart. There are certain people we have absolute trust with to the point where they have keys to our home. It's a bit startling under the circumstances that, as of recent, there have been a rash of burglaries on our specific street to the point where our next-door neighbor, someone broke into their house as of this last weekend and stole both of their Audis from the driveway. One was a rental. But that doesn't force me or in any way challenge me to take back keys Our doors are always open, even if they're closed to others without knocking. And that doesn't mean you haven't graduated if you don't have a key to our house. Some of it has to do with proximity because we tend to often forget our keys and we need to say, hey, by the way, Jenny, come on over, please. We need a key. But there's this issue where it's like there isn't a time where they could show up and we wouldn't be like, I'm sorry, you're not welcome here. The door is always open to him, as it should be. And I bet you have people just like that, too. Needless to say, it's the case with my children and my wife. It would be weird for me to lock the door. She has a key anyways. But the really sad part is, somewhere down the line, Paul came knocking on the heart of the Corinthians, and he found the door locked. And that really startled him. Has that ever happened to you? Somebody that you knew and trusted. Somebody that you felt like you've been partners in crime with or that you've been out kind of just soldiers together. And then without your, without any form of warning, one day you kind of call them up or you text them or you contact them in some way and then you find out that they're kind of like a fortress and you are not welcome all of a sudden or when they might be polite and cordial and keep you know and trying to make it not make a scene out of it but you just know you don't have a way in well it's one thing when that's a total stranger obviously the more intimate you've been the more that hurts But these are people that are children in the faith through Paul's ministry. You'd be the last people in the world for this to happen. And that becomes the part of this that really bothers them. Understand in Proverbs 18, verse 19, it tells us a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. Man, you can offend someone in such a way that it doesn't matter what you do. They're just never going to listen to you again. That should never be so among the people of Christ. But that doesn't mean you open your heart. Somebody, you know, you're careful who you open your heart to. That was the warning with Proverbs 4.23 when it told us to guard our hearts for out of it. Then springs the issues of life. But Paul is as pleading, he's actually begging the Corinthians, please, will you open your hearts to me, to us? I don't understand why you're like this. Have you ever had that where you've gone like I don't understand why you're so offended, what happened? I have you ever have someone where they where they've gone off and you could actually think of about a thousand reasons why you probably offended them? And you have somebody else that's gone off and you've gone, like, I can't even think of one reason why you're acting like this. Paul seems to be in the place where it's the second. He's like he can't seem to think of any reason at all. Other than that he's told them the truth in the first letter. But I kind of think we get a clue in it in verse twelve. But before we even go any farther, let me just ask you. How careful are you with your heart? I get the idea that I can open my heart and feel your pain, but still have final say on your influence. But man, just to open it up and let you have free reign to do whatever you want, in my heart, is a dangerous thing. But man, I just want to do that. But I don't even know if I'm good at doing that with Jesus. Jesus man, I want to. I want to be there. I want to be there that no matter what Jesus wants, I want it. No matter where he's going, I want to go there. No matter what trial and fire he wants to walk through and walk me through it, I want to be excited about the fact that it's him in business. He's busy doing his work instead of just freaking out because I'm near a fire. Metaphorically, of course. But look at verse 12. Because all of a sudden, it all starts to make sense. Well, Corinthians, like we've spoken openly to you, our heart is, is wide open. You are not restricted by us, you're restricted by your own affections. The word, by the way, for restricted is the word stenacorejo. Corejo, like chorus. And the word means to hem in closely, to be limited. It appears to me that what seems to have offended the Corinthians, to be honest, is that someone went around somewhere telling them that there's a bigger freedom than what Paul is offering. And so Paul is just going to be the party pooper. You don't want to hang out with that guy. What's interesting is it seems like God sides with Paul. Paul. Because whoever it is that's standing against them doesn't write, get to write any scripture. Did you notice that, by the way? And I get this. And please understand, I am seeking here to speak with my heart wide open to you. I want to warn you. It's one thing to call yourself a Christian, and it's another thing to be in love with Jesus. Would you agree? And if you were to call yourself a Christian, the pool's actually fairly vast. There are a lot of people out there that will call themselves Christians. They will permit all kinds of things. Let's face it, there seems to be under the banner or, or umbrella of what's called Christian, no limits to what you can or can't do. But if you were to say, I am really serious about picking up my cross... And following Christ, really making him the center of my life, I want to warn you it's an infinitely smaller puddle. Now, that doesn't, I'm not saying check it out, we're the only ones, because I can't even tell you if we are that. I can't even tell you if I'm that. I want to be that. But the problem is. When you get to that point where you're like, you know, it's just not going to bless. Oh, it's a freedom. Paul would say all things are permissible, but not everything edifies. Hey, when we first got saved, how many of you got saved, and I don't mean by that, accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, after you were about 13 years old? How many of you other than me said yes to Jesus after about 13? Okay, so more than likely we would be people, some of you I know because it's been fairly recent, Some of you would know that when you start, you kind of just start asking, is this allowable, is this permissible? Can I still do this? Can I still do that? Is this okay? Because after all, I mean, once we get saved, we're just kind of trying to figure that all out. To be honest, the day you get married, if you are uh, single at the moment, you get married, chances are you'll do the same thing. You start asking, is it still okay if I do this? Or is this still okay if I do... I just want to make sure that you're cool with this, right? I mean, some stuff you don't even ask, you just kind of know it's not going to be cool. It isn't like, hey, by the way, can I hang out with my guys? We're going to go check out the chicks. You shouldn't be doing that anyways while you're single, guys. Let me just make that clear. I don't care who you are. If you're Christian, they just don't play in the house of God. At least in this house. At least while we're here. But please understand, there gets a point sooner or later where it's more than just, is this permissible? Because there are a lot of things that are permissible that don't benefit anyone. Is it permissible to not sleep for three hour, or for three days straight, eating only crisps and playing Xbox until our eyeballs start to bleed? It's permissible Daniel, you can rest off of that. Sorry. but is it beneficial? Now, if somehow in that there was a person that was thinking about committing suicide, Daniel used the Xbox as a tool, preached the gospel, they gave their life to Christ, somewhere between you know, levels four and five of Mario Kart or something, well, then there might be some benefit to it. But the question is, does it bless now? Before, is it, is it okay? Now, does it bless? Does that make sense? So Paul knows the difference. And when you get to that point where what you really want is for your life to be a blessing to others, you might be surprised by how much resistance you will get by people that actually happily sat in the pew next to you just before you made that decision. It tells us whoever desires to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. It doesn't say whoever lives godly in Christ. You don't even have to get there. You just have to want it. It's going to start happening. And you'll start hearing those terms. Maniac, hardcore, overboard, (laughs) fundamentalist, (laughs) radical. Which, by the way, I find them all complimentary when it comes to falling in love with Jesus. I would want that to be said about being a good husband. Boy, are you a hardcore good husband? You're a really radical good husband. You're kind of an overboard good husband. Okay, I'll take it. I know what it's like when I used to give flowers to my wife and, and the guys are like, stop it, you're making me look bad. Please hear me. The Lord has a really huge call on your lives, beloved. Because Jesus went overboard. He was radical, fundamental. He was all of those terms and more to get you. And there's the call for us to be that sincere as he is. Oh, that we would be that. That We would be that full on that if the Lord were to take us, we'd have no reservations and we'd be like, you know what, I spent it on the field. Here, Paul says, look at My heart is wide open, but I get what's going on. How far in Scripture do we have to get before this particular tactic is used? Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, perhaps you're familiar with the fact God had spoken directly to Adam, didn't speak directly to Eve. Eve gets the information secondhand from Adam. And the serpent never talks to Adam. Adam's got firsthand information. He goes right after the girl, who, by the way, is next to the guy who never speaks. Then it's like strike two before this whole thing's done and just before he eats and he says, did God say, that's how he starts it, by the way. There you are, gals. La, 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 Walking through the garden. Everything's growing. It's beautiful. It's all yummy food and everything's good. And like, la, 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 And all of a sudden, a snake starts talking to you. Now, that's already different for your average day. And he says, did God really say you couldn't have any tree in the garden? Any of them at all? Did you see what his first tactic is? Look at how limiting following God is. Oh, look it. You know the irony is? We had every tree but one. To follow him, they had one tree. We had every other one. And the world does that today. Oh, isn't that limiting, following Jesus? Yeah, yeah, you get your one tree, we get the garden. Tell me how limiting what we have is. You know that. So understand, somewhere down the line, someone has played the same card in Corinth against Paul. Look at how he's limiting. And you'll be honest. Let me just make some things clear here. These are issues of conviction. You can still disagree or you can still do these things and be Christian. Please hear me on this. But there will be nobody on staff here who drinks alcohol. No, I'm not telling you that because I'm like, check out how awesome we are. Because that's not it at all. We have a rule in our house, the highest common denominator. Let's say that Lamara lives with six people. Or seven, and they're all very, very small. <laughs> and you know, and, and then she sits down, and one of the things I would do, by the way, if I had that first meeting, she's moving in. They're all gals, of course. And, and as she sits down with them, she goes, you know what? Let's talk about convictions of the house. Now, they probably never even thought of it, to be honest. Let's talk about what we listen to. We're all Christians at this table. What would trip you up? Let's talk about what we watch. What would trip you up? Let's talk about what we would wear. Let's talk about the way that we have a relationship with guys. What would trip you up? Let's talk about what we could talk about or not talk about. What would trip you up? And even if it wasn't my conviction, it needs to be the conviction of the house. Does that make sense? Because, let's face it, if Lamara really likes listening to ACDC... But one gal in the the house, she listens to that kind of stuff, and she instantly wants to put on black leather and run around doing Satan horns all over the house. It's tripping her up. Even though she has that freedom, it's tripping up someone else. Does that make sense? So as far as the house is concerned, there is a conviction. Now, that doesn't mean they're being legalists. That means they're loving each other. Does that make sense? In our house, each of us have different convictions, by the way, and we adhere to whoever that conviction is in the house. Certain things we don't listen to, certain things we don't see, because we don't want to trip up another. Does that make sense? Are you following me so far? So that sort of makes sense? In this house, there are a lot of weaknesses. Alcohol is one of them. Drugs is another. Sex is another. There are people come in here wounded, weakened, and, and, and addicted to these things. So we don't want to do anything to trip up a brother. Does that make sense? Is that limiting? Yes and no. It's limiting in this sense. It limits things that you could do, but it also frees you up to do something else you couldn't do, which is to minister to someone that you couldn't if you had that beer on your breath. And again, I'm not trying to lay a heavy trip. I'm not not telling you as a Christian you have to do that. I'm telling you as a leader here, that's what's required. Here's the point. Is that someone, how easy would it be for someone to say, for Bruno, although Bruno wouldn't do this, or Sam, but Sam wouldn't do this either, to say, oh, that Pastor Tony, look at the legal trip he's putting on people, telling them that they can't do that. What a great party pooper. What a limiter. How confining and constricting is he? Wouldn't that make sense? And there will be people that actually, you know, what's like that's kind of not comfortable. You won't, don't ever expect us to have like a three kegger worship night. No, you can go other places for that. Don't expect for us to have a silent disco at some pub somewhere where at night where everybody kind of gets to crack up on their thing. Look it, I'm not trying to diss somebody else. I'm just telling you that's not where we're at. You can go to other things that are called Christian, and I can't tell you whether they are or not because they're not my house. But you can go to other things and do that. But the point is, is that we want here as a shepherd, I want you safe. And as a safe, it's like, is that? Oh, were you a sheltering kind? Yes, I am. But let's face it, if hail was coming down and I could put something over your head, that would be good. That's sheltering. Here's the point: is that people are running around and saying the same thing about Paul, and that offended a group of people so bad that they shut their hearts. Oh, you're just some legal trip guy. Do you know to this day people do that? Peter will even say in his day that you know, in the same days he'll say, oh, there are people who twist up what Paul says to their own advantage. And there are some that will say, oh, no, this is my lifestyle or this is my choice. I could still be a Christian. I just don't want to read what Paul says because, oh, yeah, that says completely the opposite. But who's Paul anyways? How limiting is Paul? Don't listen to that guy. My children know, by the way, if they want to get something, they should ask me. Now, that's not to pick on my wife. They just know if they ask my wife, she's more prone to say no. And there are people, they know, if you've read a little bit of the Bible, if you really want to try to get away with something, don't read Paul's letters. They're for the guys and the gals that really want to be full on for Jesus. That's just the bottom line. Just the same way that if we were to write a manual about a good marriage, you wouldn't want to read it if you wanted to go out swinging on those times when you're not with your husband or wife. Like, this book's just going to probably make me feel guilty. Maybe because you are. She's like, you're not restricted by us. Do you know what's really limiting you? Your constant desire for what God isn't giving you if all you can think about is what God isn't giving you and how you're trying to get it, that's its own noose around your neck, beloved. Because the Lord has this big open place for you to enjoy. And you're still busy trying to figure out why you can't get in the one room that God's not letting you in right now. But it's a beautiful day and He wants you outside playing. And you rob yourself of all of that. Because all you can think about is why you aren't getting this other thing, so you're going to get it anyways, even if God isn't going to give it to you. Do you know what that does? It shuts your heart to God, is what it does. Have you ever been at that place where you sing songs and there's a part of you that even just goes, "Mm -hmm," while you're singing, because you just know you don't mean it anymore? Because your heart's closed? Because you know that at the name of Jesus, our heart should skip a beat you know that when we read the word there's a part of us that should just catch fire metaphorically but instead we just kind of know that we're doing it because we feel like we have to now and we know it's not right it's like waking up next to the person you think you should be in love with and just realizing it's sort of more of a contractual agreement now how sad would that be God doesn't want that. And here Paul doesn't, as a pastor, and can I say as your pastor, I'm the same. I don't want you like that. I mean, look who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the people who braved the rain and the cold on a Wednesday night. You probably left your house. It was dark when you left. So you could come here and sit and hear this, and this is the point I want to make. My God is in love with you. He doesn't just like you. He doesn't just want to be BFF although he would be the one person that F actually works because he would be forever. He doesn't want to just hang out and be buds, be your homeboy. He's in love with you. And his heart is wide open. It's wide open. There's no time you can knock on God's heart and God's like, forget it, I'm so tired of you. I just don't want it. That is not the voice of God. You know what the sad thing is? And I'm being honest. I really think there are times where the Lord's done it to me, and that's been my answer. Oh, I've said it in a nicer way, or worse yet, pretended like I wasn't there. I don't want that. I don't want that at all. For the same reason why my wife hides out on October 31st. Because she doesn't want to have to give kids candy that are dressed like death. So she'd rather hide. <laughs> if all the lights are off and no, you know, boy, am I really airing our laundry today, aren't I? You're like, forget it, I'm not taking my kids to your house. Good, you're probably, you probably not going to get anything. Um, because she knows if somebody that's knocking at the door, they're going to want something. And can I just say in the same way, that's the reason why I don't want to answer the door when I know the Lord's knocking? Because I know he's going to want something. The irony is what he's going to want is to hang out with me, to be with me, to enjoy me, and have me enjoy him. I'm robbing myself of all that. I'm not giving him candy. So listen. Verses 11 through 13 are extremely emotional. By a guy, by the way, who I really believe loves deeply. He loves a group of people because, to be honest, he really just gave his life to serve them. He was there for over a year, and then he left... And now this whole church is like you know, like I IHatePaul.com. Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. Look at, I've not hidden anything from you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us. You're restricted by your own affections. Now when we turn for the same, and I speak to his children, would you please also open up? Hello? Would you please open your heart? So if you were to be opening your heart, what would you hear him say? Do you know what Paul would say? <laughs> you might be surprised. Look at verse 14. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then he gives us a whole bunch of what, does, what fellowship, what communion, what accord, which by the way means what harmony, what Part or portion, what agreement do we have in these things? The word for unequally yoked, by the way, is the word, by the way, hetero zugeho. Hetero means different. That makes sense, right? A heterosexual like somebody of a different gender. That's what that means. Versus homo, which means the same. The idea of being unequally yoked means to be yoked with something different. Now, to be honest, in the simplest sense, it's a, an actual agricultural term. So let's do it this way. Nathaniel, let me borrow you for a second. Yeah, come on up. Let's think nice, by the way, nice socks. Let's say that Nathaniel was an ox. Good, strong ox. Mm oxy and he's going to help pull a plow now i remind you a plow is going to be a structure usually of two pieces of wood and at the front of it is a blade that goes into this soil that digs usually six inches to 12 inches deep or a third of a meter and the reason is is to dig this nice furrowed row we want it nice and straight so we could put the seed in it and then cover it back up does that make sense So, good, strong ox. But then I'm like, I don't have any more ox. What do I do? I know what I need to do. I need to get a donkey. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, we get a donkey. And the donkey's still strong. To be honest, let me just say this. Do you know they call donkeys the engineers of the Middle East? Do you know that? To this day... If you're going to try to build a road down a hill, they send donkeys down, because donkeys tend to find the safest route down. It's kind of a fun thought. So, oh. <laughs> Hold on. Go ahead and have a seat, Naomi. We have another person here that, yes. Come on up. It's perfect timing. Yeah, that's all right. You're an engineer, see? The engineers of the Middle East. So we have a donkey, and we have an ox. Give me a good ox sound. That was good. Give me a good donkey sound. Wow. That was really good. That was a very timid donkey. That was really good. You smuggled though. Okay. Now, here's the deal. So I'm going to go and try to put this thing with these two arms on it. First of all, notice how crooked that is, right? And then I'm going to try to ride this thing as if it was normal. So I'm like, that's usually the sound to get something to go in the Middle East. You'll find that, by the way, some of you. And so you two try to start going forward. Now, what happens? First of all, this big old strong ox isn't going to have a problem. The poor little donkey's really trying to keep up, though. Does that make sense? So what's going to happen is that this one's going to not necessarily want to go straight. It's going to want to wander off this way. When it wanders off that way, needless to say, it just drags the donkey with. We've seen situations where they've tried to do this and literally the donkey's being dragged by an ox. That's the problem. It's like, Right? Are you with me so far? But it's not just that, because the, the yoke is ill-fitting then. It, does, it can't fit both. If it's big and massive to fit the ox, as it should be, that means she's got this giant pylon on her head here. Way too big for her neck and her shoulder. Does that make sense? So now she's got this big old blister and then this raw spot where all of her shoulder is. Well, he's like, whatever. And he's dragging this thing over. And I'm trying to keep you guys going center. Does that make sense? It just doesn't work. Thank you, Eeyore. Thank you very much, my dear ox. That's what he tells us. Now, here's the problem. This is what he says about... Not, listen, 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 not about wicked, horrible, evil people, unbelievers. That's it. Just unbelievers. Unbeliever, by the way, is somebody who does not listen. An unbeliever is not somebody who does not acknowledge God. An unbeliever is someone who does not trust God. Because believe means to put your trust upon Him. That's entirely different Because amongst the body of Christ, there may be all kinds of people that say, I believe in God, but they also think they believe in Santa. They also believe in the Illuminati, and they also believe in the fact that FIFA runs the world and that there's still spaceships at Area 51 or 2 or whatever. They still believe we never landed on the moon and whatever. But to believe in God is different. If I were to tell Maureen, I believe in you, that's so much more than saying, I, I believe you exist. I think you exist. If I were to tell Marcia, Marcia, I believe in you, you would assume somewhere in there there, was in a, there is a bolstering of her character. That I have a confidence in her character because I trust her. I wouldn't leave my children with someone I didn't trust. I would have to believe in them. Does that make sense? Perhaps you've heard the story of the man that used, to, was the tightrope walker that walked across Niagara Falls. Have you heard that story? And he ran the rope across Niagara Falls. I don't know if you know how loud Niagara Falls is. He's a, he was a French. You know those French guys. You know those French guys. And, and he like, ran the tightrope, and he had a wheelbarrow. And there was a large crowd that had gathered on both sides. And he says, how many of you believe? And he had walked from one side to the other. How many of you believe that I can walk across this tie rope? And everyone said, yeah, 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 yeah. How many of you believe that I could push this wheelbarrow across this, this waterfall? And they said, oh, yeah, 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 because they'd seen him do that too. And he goes, how many believe that I could actually put a human being in the wheelbarrow and push him across? And they went, yeah, 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 yeah. And he said, all right, awesome. Who wants in? Nobody stepped forward. Now, I'd be one of those people. I'd be like, yeah, that would be the craziest fright of my life. Death, whatever. But I'm weird enough to you know that. And there's that point where people are like, I believe in God. I believe in God. That's why the whole book of James is written. It's like, well, then what change has it made? You say you believe in God. What difference has it made in your life? If you really trust him, you're going to get in the wheelbarrow. Does that make sense? And you're like, well, where are you going? I'm going across the rope. It's scary. He's like, yeah, but all you have to do is sit there. That's your part. Like, it's a scary part. Yeah, well, sit there. I'll take care of the rest. I know what I'm doing. And God says, listen, don't be yoked together with somebody who doesn't trust God. Would you agree that's a smaller, that's an entirely different issue? Man, if you could hear this, then you know some of you have those stories where he said he was Christian or she said she was Christian, but she was cute. As if, if God's going to go, well, you know, I did make her cute. I, I can see why you, you know, dated her. Well, what's the purpose in the first place? And you got yoked together. You decided to go into business. Isn't that yoking with somebody that didn't trust God? Do you know how crazy, how troublesome that's going to be? You're like, well, then I won't be able to go into business with anyone. Well, then go into business with God. He trusts himself. But what if I die single? What if I die alone? How could you die alone if you've accepted Jesus Christ? Let him be your everything, and then let's let's see what happens. Because you're a lot more beautiful, content in Christ than you'll ever be desperate for someone else. Because look at... Beloved, do you know why your heart's closed up right now? Because the house is full. Paul's knocking on your heart. God's knocking on your heart, and you're like, I'm sorry, house is full. Because, like, I thought you gave me the house. This is my house. And you're like, I changed the locks. I wanted it back. It's like, how does that work? I purchased it with my blood. You're like, well, I'm sorry, there's no room left here. Because there's me in the world. There's me and this guy or this girl or this dream or whatever. But it's really not about trusting God. And you're going in opposite directions. And so, here you are. Let me see, I don't want to do this. I'm going to do this with Mary. So, here you are. Mary will be playing the role of the unbeliever for a moment. Here you are up here. And you're like, don't worry, I'm going to pull him up. But the unbeliever is down there. So you grab hands. Who's got the advantage here? I do. Am I more likely to pull her up or her pull me down? Well, I mean, we're not talking about the fact I'm six times her size. <laughs> she has gravity in her favor. All she has to do is just continue to be stubborn and throw herself down, and that's going to pull me down. Does that make sense? My whole life... It will be a struggle to stay in the condition I'm in here. Nonetheless, pull her up. Does that make sense? It will be a battle. I can feel her weight right now. I don't have her whole weight. I don't want to pull her arm out of her socket. You could be thankful for that. But I can feel weight on my arms right now. Mary, do you feel great weight on your arms right now? What you're feeling is me pulling you, right? Right. Right, here's the problem. We get into this situation and we think somehow we're like Samson, and we're just going to pull this person against their own will up to Christ. Really? That's what we're trying to do here? And we think this is going to work. And how many times, you see, the problem is, the fact that you already got into this yoke with them shows where you're at. Because if you were contending Christ, you wouldn't be chasing after somebody who hates the person you claim to love the most. If the most important person in your life was Daniel, you wouldn't go and become friends with the person who hates him the most, or he hates the most. That wouldn't make any sense. So how can we do that? Listen to this, and you can see why now. This is small text, but there's, it's, wouldn't you agree? This is pithy stuff here. Notice what he says. What fellowship, communion, accord, what part or portion, what agreement do these things have? On one side, so that you would think that they were opposites, right? Like light and darkness. That would be opposites. when you agree? Well, look at the things that God calls opposites here. Because you might find them. And one of the ways, by the way, you learn. One of the ways you teach is by doing what's called contrast teaching. Which means sometimes the best way to get a definition is to show what's opposite the word for righteousness is the word, to it's the word for righteousness. What's interesting is the opposite of being right with God is not unrighteousness here. It's actually lawlessness. Anamia. Because on one side you're being right with God. To be right with God, you are submitted under his leadership. The opposite of that is, forget it, I'll make up my own rules. I'll do what's right in my own sight. You cannot, please hear me, you cannot be right with God if that's what you're doing. You can't be. And to whatever degree that is in our hearts will be that much of a degree of what unrightness we'll have in our own lives. So when someone says, I think God should be able to permit this, though Scripture doesn't agree with that, I think that that's the case, well then you're making your own rules. Does that make sense? That's this word. That's all. And he goes, listen, those two things do not connect. They're the opposites. They're the opposite poles of the magnus. You can't be righteous with God and then make up your own rules and tell God he has to listen to you. It's not going to work. There's no communion between light and darkness. It's one or the other. There is no accord in the way, the way, the way. There's harmony between Christ. What's interesting is the word Belial. The Bible is originally a Hebrew word, and it literally means worthlessness. And I find this interesting. Because the opposite of Christ was not the devil. The opposite of Christ here was just that which was worthless. Remember before when we were asking, is this permissible? There were a lot of things that are permissible, but they're worthless. And God doesn't want those things unified with him. Our life now should have purpose. We should be used to change people. Imagine, if you will, that all of a sudden, this tremendous earthquake hit London, and people were dying for lack, to be honest, of a simple penicillin shot. And there you were, strangely enough, somehow, right before that happened, a truck drove through your house that had 600,000 vials of penicillin. They're all intact. Oh, your couch isn't, your flat-screen TV isn't anymore. And people are dying out there, and you're thinking, you know what? This would be a good day for a Marvel marathon. Every movie we could think of that had some form of superhero by Marvel. So we could find Stanley in every one of them or whatever. There's nothing wrong with watching a movie. But when you are keenly aware of the fact that your neighbors are dying for the very thing that you actually have in your house, that's a pretty rough thing to swallow. And people around us are dying for the very thing you have in your hearts, beloved. And mine too, by the way. Because we could be caught up in what's worthless. What part does a believer have with an unbeliever? Well, that would make sense, right? Those are opposites. And what agreement does a temple of God have with idols? They are really not the same. So this is what it is. Lawlessness, darkness, worthlessness. That's what we're looking at here. Let me tell you why as we bring this around to a close. Because remember when Christ came and moved into your life and you opened your heart and you said Christ come in and then he said, well, would you actually give me your heart? Here's the difference. Please hear me. When I open my heart to Christ where he's the guest, my life improves but doesn't become what he wants. When I hand him my heart, For him to live in as his home, he turns it into a temple, into a sanctuary, into a cathedral. And that's what I'm robbing myself of. I'm afraid of the changes God's going to make. And what he's going to do is he's going to glorify, beautify, and magnify himself in this broken piece of flesh. That's in my heart. He goes, you know what a temple really is? A place where God says, I dwell. I dwell in there. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. That's the call here. Look at this building for a second. Just take a look at it. Somewhere down the line, somebody was sanctioned, commissioned, to invent this building. They started with nothing. Maybe they started with some ideas. Maybe they started with some prototypes some templates of what they've seen around them. But ultimately, they kind of looked and they thought pillars. They thought about arches, with flying buttresses, or with roses, with stained glass. Creating a room with a lot of stone, so when you go, Ah! It echoes. So that if this were full of people singing, the house would be full of song. It would be flowing in the gravy of our own adoration. That's the way this place was built. Now, I'll be honest. Growing, sort of spiritually growing up Calvary... There's a natural kind of prejudice against a building like this. And then, by the way, nobody teaches you that. You just hang out with people and you kind of, you know, it's like osmosis. Because, you know, it's like we take over warehouses and storefronts and grungy, you know, scummy places and hopefully clean them up a little bit or whatever. So you look at it and be like, oh, you know, and then we sound like Judas. This money could have been given to the poor. Until back in California, the Lord started bringing architects into our fellowship and everything changed for me. Because as I started hearing them talk about their projects, then what would it be like from them? So you sat down with Allie and said, Allie, I want to build a place so that if people came and they walked by the neighborhood, they would say, God clearly lives there. What would you do? Now that's entirely different, isn't it? Because you'd want it to be the coolest building on the block. You'd want it to be the most magnificent building on the block. We talk about the Lord and His crystal throne. I understand the idea of stained glass now. Because when the light hits it, it sprays the rainbow all over the place like God's rainbow throne. And I get the idea, okay, well, we feel like we're at the throne of God. That That makes a difference. And heaven's full of the praises that seem to echo throughout all of eternity. I understand making it big so that it echoes like this. So that we go, oh, I feel the majesty of God. I get it. Now, I'm still not big on let's go hide behind something and kiss a picture and all. I'm Okay, I'm not into all that stuff. Pictures of guys and all that. Because God will stick around on Sunday. We'll nail that down. But I get the idea that you should walk in the room and go, Whoa, I've never seen a building like this. But just because the house is big and beautiful doesn't mean somebody lives in it. But imagine now Lamara hands Jesus her heart. She says, All right, Lord, here you go. And with that heart then, let's just be honest, that's in essence an arc tape of her life. Here's my heart. With this heart, do what you want with my life. And the Lord says, well, I want the world to see that I live in the Mara. So what's he going to do? He's going to make it colorful. He's going to make it radiant. He's going to make it glorious. He's going to make it magnificent in such a way that when other people look, they're like, what in the world is going on with you? And we will be tempted to say, it's a nice day, or things are going well, or something that sort of rhymes with zippity-doo-dah or something, right? But in the end of it all, what we need to say is, it's is because God lives in this place and he's done it different. So it's like, look at, the whole part of this is, look at, please open your heart to me, because my heart's open to you. It's like, look, I've not held anything from you. And I understand you think I'm limiting you, but I'm not limiting you. Your lust for the things of this world is what's limiting you. It's stopping you from letting God rebuild your life into the sanctuary it's supposed to be. And he goes, don't you realize that's God's blueprints for your life? Is to make you a glorious cathedral? Don't you recognize that? And if you recognize that, the problem is it almost has a negative connotation in this country, doesn't it? We think big building like this probably empty now. Isn't that sad? But what if these buildings were actually used for what they were intended for? Which, by the way, I guarantee was not to make it a pub or a theater or whatever. But let's be honest. The three things that I've noticed that churches become when they stop being quote-unquote churches are pubs, theaters, and residents. Would you agree with me? Let's be honest. Even the ones that have people in them, haven't many of them become pubs, theaters, and places where people sleep? The only difference is, it's just become obvious to the rest of the world. But this isn't to be a pub This isn't to be a theater. and This isn't to be a place where we sleep. This is to be a place where we grab a hold of and baste in and bask in the glory of God and then take that out with us. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Oh, that God would do that. So that whether it's in this building or not, you would be such a cathedral that people would look and go, whoa. So look at what it says. Let's close this up. He says, listen. You're a temple of the living God. God already said He wants to live in you, and He's not going to live in a shack. He's going to redo it. I'll be, I'll be their God. They'll be my people. So this is what I ask. Come out from among them. Now, among them doesn't mean don't be near them. Being separate does not mean don't have anything to do with unbelievers. What He's saying is, you're so busy looking like them, You've become a chameleon. Because will you be different? Will your heart come out from among them? Stop playing with that. That's dangerous and poisonous. Cling to me. Because we have to try to run from Christ and our intimacy with Him to try to become best friends with the world. James would see Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with Christ? Because you know what I really want to be? I want to be your Father. That's what I want to be. I want to be your God. I want to be your Lord. I want you to be my children. That's what the Lord says. And by the way, he doesn't just call himself the Lord here. Notice he calls himself the Lord Almighty. As we go to prayer tonight, my heart is sincerely heavy because I don't want us to grab this information and then walk out of here and go, yeah, that's that's good stuff to think about. I want God to squeeze our heart in such a way that we're like, Lord, could I love you like you love me? Could I want you like you want me? Could I crave you like you crave me? Well, for that to happen, make my heart your sanctuary. Make my life your throne. Make everything about me the essence of your glory and make my heart your home. That's my desire today. Would you pray with me? tonight in this room we want to confess to you that our hearts are so cluttered They're cluttered with desires that we know darn well don't line up with you. And we're confused. Cluttered with reservations and concerns of what would happen if you really did completely take over us. Heads and our hearts are swimming with all of these priorities and challenges and chances and things that we know very clearly in Scripture are not in accordance with you. But our hearts can be so much the harlot, can be so unfaithful to you be so desirous of our own destruction and we would even know it but still want it tonight in this room would you please let us hear you speak words of love says your heart is wide open Lord wide open to us will we hand you ours. Please, God, tonight, give us a severe distaste for that which is at enmity with you, which competes with your superiority and eminence in our lives. And tonight in this room, may we walk out of here clean, clean, to say, even if I don't know it, Lord, and I don't know what would be, things get so cluttered, I can't even see what all of this is. just want to give you permission, Lord, to just, with your all-consuming fire, just sweep through and burn it all away. That what would be left is a heart that's completely yours. Jesus, I recognize that you died on a cross with a heart wide open even to the thief who at one point cursed you before you forgave him. That you cried out from that cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. and tonight in this room you call for my heart not just some time not just some attention but the part of me that that makes the decisions Lord, for anything that we have yoked ourselves to, unyoke us if it doesn't belong. Free, Lord, I pray, my brothers, sisters, and myself, from anything, Lord, that seems to have clung to us or we would cling to it, that that doesn't have its place or doesn't have a place in your kingdom, doesn't properly fit in your home. And tonight, Lord, in this room, wash us over right now. As we've been in your word, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, wash us clean with your living water. And may we walk out of here so pure, so resolute, That, Lord, whatever the world would say is restricting, we would recognize that restriction in their eyes frees me up to to be a blessing to someone else. May my life be driven by what blesses now, not by what freedoms I think I can claim. I'm free to serve in you. Make us so, I pray. And as you died at the cross, Jesus, may that which is at enmity with you die with you. And as you rose again anew, three days later, just like Scripture promised, you promised us a life opposite of the one we once had. May our life be opposite of the one that was covered in darkness, worthlessness, unrighteousness, lawlessness, selfishness. And may we live now, Lord, under your dominion. Tonight, Lord, as much as we are able to understand, we hand you our hearts, no strings attached, We remove our hands from it. Say it's yours to do as you wish with now. Have your way with us. And make us your masterpiece. Your pleasure. Your cathedral. Father, as you wish to be our father, we wish to be your children. So father us now, we pray.